On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, we're closing out 2020 with a panel discussion from experts in and around brewing who share their insights, advice, tips, hopes, and more. This is John Hall, and welcome to the BYO Nano Podcast, episode 12, and we've just about made it to the end of the year. We thought it'd be a good idea to gather up from some folks from various industries in craft beer to talk about beer life amid a pandemic. And my guests this month are Melissa Romano. She's the owner of Lake Ann Brewhouse in Reston, Virginia. Rob Fulmer, the executive director of the Arizona Craft Brewers Guild. Laura Lodge, who is the founder of the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wine Festival, as well as the founder of Customized Craft Beer Programs. And Brandon Hernandez. He's the founder and executive editor at San Diego Beer News. And we'll talk with all of them in a moment. But first, however, I'm really happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the right choice for pro results. Whether it's for your pilot system or production line, their turnkey systems come fully equipped with everything you need to hit the ground running. Designed for easy setup and intuitive use, their brewhouse systems and cellaring equipment deliver uncompromising quality and reliability backed by a name you trust, so you can focus on what matters most, your beer. Visit BlickmanPro.com today. And don't miss three different in-depth live online boot camps coming up that are of interest to small-scale craft breweries. On January 15, 2021, numbers guru Audra Gazanez walks you through brewery financials. On February 26th, author John Palmer helps you tackle brewing water adjustments. And on March 5th, Dr. Chris White and Kara Taylor teach you yeast techniques and lab skills. Each of the three interactive online workshops will be four hours long. Find full details at byo.com slash nano bootcamps. There's a lot to get into today for this panel discussion, from talking about what's happening inside and outside of tap rooms, legislative issues that impact breweries of every size, trends to look out for in the new year, and what might happen with festivals, and general nuggets of advice from smart, passionate professionals. And we'll even introduce you to a new buzzword you'll want to use. Well, I'm really excited to have this panel assembled for our last show of 2020 which hopefully brings us into a better 2021. But Melissa Romano is the owner of Lake Ann Brewhouse in Reston, Virginia. Rob Fulmer is the executive director of the Arizona Craft Brewers Guild. Laura Lodge is the founder of the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines Festival, as well as the founder of Customized Craft Beer Programs. And Brandon Hernandez is the founder and executive editor at San Diego Beer News. Melissa, you're a brewery owner. And I want to start with you first as to if you can sum up briefly what 2020 is going to be like in your brewery's history books. What's the first chapter? What's the first, first paragraph? Wow. Well, this is the year that nothing went as planned, I suppose. I'm sure we're not alone in saying that. But for our brewery in particular, we're a small taproom brewery. Uh, never had intentions of doing any packaging or distribution of our products. Um, and that all changed on one wild weekend in March when uh, we were notified that we would be closing down to taproom sales and realized that the only way that we were going to be able to make our brewery survive through uh, the coming months was uh, to start packaging our beer and selling it to go. So with about 48 hours notice, we set up a little canning line on the bar of our 
brewery of our little tap room. And by that, I mean um, a 16 ounce October Crowler machine. And we started canning our beers one pint at a time. Um, fast forward about six months and we had canned about 10,000 beers. Um, fast forward all the way to today and we're still canning beers, although our tap room has been back open since June. But definitely a year of pivoting and then pivoting again and pivoting again. And um, just being able to uh, try to weather the storm and change things on what seemed for a while like on an almost daily basis. It's it's interesting because the way that this pandemic hit in the U.S., it really has been with us for for pretty much this whole year. I mean, there there were starting to be rumbles in uh, mid to late January, and then certainly February, and then March is when it got really bad. But it's been on our radar for the last twelve months, uh, if if not even beforehand. Rob, I'm I'm curious from the guild standpoint of what you would hope to accomplish with the guild this year. And what had to get backburnered as you had to meet the immediate needs of of your members? Yeah, I think this is when uh, organizations like ours understand their intimate relationship with events. Um, that is uh, how we funded a lot of our operations. I think we've spent uh, a lot of time in direct service to our members on a more daily basis. We've uh, extended what we do to counties and cities uh something that we're not typically set up to do we're, we're usually at the state policy level um i think it's an examination of uh this year of how we can um, change our business model uh, uh because i don't know that it's going to change very much for us if we are event focused in 2021 i don't i don't see the events coming back soon enough for that to really um, affect our bottom line. So I think um, we're looking at completely changing how we make our revenue and, and we're examining what it means to be a guild. I want to get into the festival stuff as we go on uh, later on because Laura Lodge is on, on, on the line and uh, 21 years just about of the Big Beers, Belgians and Barley Wines Festival, which was going to happen uh, just next month in January, which is, which is, which is postponed. Um, but Laura, with, with your new venture that you have, Customized Craft Beer Programs, this is something that you've launched in the, in the last few months. And I'm curious as to the need that you've seen from breweries for a program like yours. Um, actually, John, Customized Craft Beer Programs has been around for a while. Um, I haven't, that's okay. <laughs> no problem at all. But it's interesting because it's becoming... Uh, more relevant in a different way. And um, I think to to that point, it's kind of the first time that customized craft beer programs has surfaced in our larger conversation. Um, there's a, a variety of things that happen under the umbrella of customized craft beer programs. One of, one of them is a, a distribution focus. Um, another is an events focus. And another, a third is an education focus. And the, the education really initially took off in terms of educating destination resorts about the need and the desire to, to have a beer program that was of a caliber similar to the wine programs that they were featuring. And so I did a lot of work with marketing and sales teams to, to help them understand why it would be good for their food and beverage program to have a great craft beer program. 
and then work with the, the chefs and the, the, the restaurant teams to do that. Um, but clearly, regardless of, of any of the pieces of customized craft beer programs, all of that has been repurposed with the pandemic because there's no on-site experiential anything yeah, from events no destination. to destination to restaurants to, you know, any of those venues that I was doing a lot of work um, because all of that was experientially based. And so in, in refocusing and looking at what, what can that voice, what can that education, what can that experience that was being offered in craft beer programs, customized craft beer programs, how, how can we repurpose that? And I think that that is the same challenge that we've all seen in this um, situation is how do we uh, serve in a different way? And so I've been able to do more with education based on you know, the online presentations and education and, and things like this today where there's a different venue and a different connection that's possible. So it's really been an adventure and it's, it's, um, it's proving to be challenging and interesting and connecting with everyone in a different way. Hopefully I'll be able to fix my faux pas from, from earlier because uh, maybe my notes were jumbled. Brandon Hernandez launched a business during a pandemic. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just going to say that I, <laughs> I had Laura and Brandon confused one. momentarily with that with their backgrounds. And um, yeah, but Brandon, being a reporter covering the beer industry, and I, I know this firsthand as well, the nature of the stories has, has changed over the last year. Um, I, I'm curious as to, one, why launch a beer media business during a pandemic, um, but two... What are the stories that are resonating most with your readers right now? Uh, so going to the first part of your question, uh, why go ahead and put together a media news outlet during a pandemic? Uh, I will tell you that the reason I did it is because uh, a lot of our publications here in town in San Diego, which is a, a large city, a large county, had gone dark or completely shuttered at one point. So... Um, Beer news is kind of a niche market, as we all know. And while some of the publications were still putting out their daily news, of course, beer was so far down the line. And being a mostly in the eyes of, say, newspapers and magazines, uh, something that they cover because those uh, businesses will be advertisers at some point, they hope. But also knowing the beer industry as we do and that there's not a lot of advertising money start with there really wasn't a lot during the pandemic so we were seeing about zero coverage of breweries and i didn't like that i i felt like if there was ever a time that breweries needed to be able to get their news out to people so that people could understand where they're coming from the adjustments that are being made to their business how they could support the businesses and just how the business owners were feeling and uh the challenges they were up against it was during this pandemic so i went ahead and uh teamed up with a business partner of mine who is in multimedia, who I work with actually at Stone Brewing, who, if you've ever seen the dynamic web content and videos and things that they put up. Uh, we had worked on those together, so I knew that we could get this going fast, and we did. Within a month, we had a website, and it has been churning out at least one story or a piece of content per day since July. Uh, the stories that are resonating most, as you might expect, are closings, but also openings, and Anything that gives our readers a chance to go support the businesses in a meaningful way that, especially ways that they may not have uh, thought about on their own. Uh, 
where somebody really just shares their story and says, here's one individual way that you can come and specifically assist me in this way. People get behind it, go and do it and uh, spread the word. I, I, it's been really, really gratifying to see that. And I know that the brewers whose businesses are on the line right now are really appreciated. And right now, I'm not sure if you know, but there's a stay at home order in place mm-hmm. here in uh, all of Southern California and most of the state that's proving very challenging. And so uh, getting information like that out right now has been, has been key and crucial. And uh, I, I, I truly believe if Santa Good Beer News wasn't around, there wouldn't be another publication that would be sharing that. So it, uh, it's served a purpose and, and done, done well so far. Melissa, to to that point of keeping connected with customers and trying to uh, keep the business alive uh, during a pandemic, what have been some of the larger struggles that your brewery has faced and how have you met them head on? Yeah, we're we're very fortunate to have an incredibly supportive, hyper-local crowd. Um, we built this brewery to really be a little community hub. And so from the day that we first had to close our doors, we saw sort of an outpouring of support um, from our from our local fan base. So in a sense, that's been very, I mean, it's been incredibly helpful for us. But in a sense, we may not be struggling or we may not have struggled as as much as others have. Challenges for us have included um, just trying to keep on top of, um, as uh, Brandon was saying, trying to keep the the message going um, throughout the closures. Um, Here in Virginia, we've gone through three different phases of um, degrees of closure, um, helping our customers understand what's allowed and not allowed, keeping that news in front of them, being able to interpret um, that news to them and letting them know uh, that we're trying to, um, you know, that we are doing our best to be a safe environment for them to come to, whether that's inside or outside, when permissible inside. Um, it's 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 a constant battle for us, I think, just to keep the news flowing, and also for the general public to understand that um, sometimes the guidelines that are put out for restaurants don't necessarily affect breweries um, in in our location at least and I know it's different state by state sometimes even county by county so I think just keeping clear information out um, has been the biggest challenge for us constant social media constant connection with our customers um, and then just trying to keep everyone satisfied and trying to let everyone know that they can still either safely enjoy a beverage on our patio or in our tap room and or pick it up curbside to go. Um, but sometimes those things are changing weekly, if not daily. So, Yeah. So Rob, you have the job of communicating to all of your members and there are things happening on local levels. There's things happening on state level and even nationally as well. How have you found a, a, a good way to, keep your members apprised? Is it just simple emails and text alerts? Are there, you know, <laughs> I was, I was, I was going to say focus groups, but I, I guess it's more support groups uh, that you <laughs> all are, are, are running these days or, you know, uh, traction clinics to help with all of the whiplash back and forth. Sure. Um, I, well, we're, we're using every medium available and um, with the growth of uh, breweries spanning, um, different cohort groups. Uh, some, 
Sometimes I wonder if I've communicated via Facebook Messenger, text, uh, email. Um, did I call? Was it face to face? Um, we we generally our, our our policy is that email is the official top down communication, but we use all those other channels for discussion, including things like Slack and um, some of the private Facebook groups. Um, so uh, the, the answer is we use whatever medium is appropriate at the time um, for the audience. Um, that may be our downfall <laughs> moving forward as we try to uh, come back to what is a normal year. But um, a, a good chunk of what we do is face-to-face -to -face too. And we've obviously had to cut that way back. Uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've reached out to a brewery owner, uh, email, text, and uh, seemingly they don't have time for me. But if I show up, I might spend all day there and it will be as natural as anything else. So uh, what, what our challenge is right now is uh, obviously message, message fatigue. Uh, and with the reopening of certain elements of uh, the economy and, and um, businesses being open in different ways. I think uh, some of our business owners and employees have settled into a way of doing things and um, they're not necessarily interested in, in, in the crisis mode uh, that we were in before where every piece of information could literally spell out whether you were going to survive as a business back in the early days of March. Have you so, found though that you've been able to connect better with local government officials because everybody's sort of living through the same thing right now in a pandemic and that you're able to communicate the needs of your members in, in better terms because of the pandemic than maybe if you didn't, if we didn't have this happening around us? Uh, no. <laughs> there is no, uh, we've, we've been more of a back channel um, organization. Um, not necessarily reaching directly out to the governor, um, trying to stay in, 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 in somewhat of a lane, um, but really, you know, having larger organizations like the Restaurant Association, understanding where we have a commonality and uh, supporting from that angle, because they're always gonna have more of a, a, a presence on the front of the house uh, side of employee issues and, um, I mean, their payroll dwarfs anything that we do. So that's one avenue. And the other avenue is with some of the other alcohol industry stakeholders. Um, and, you know, our channel has always been, even though the governor, for, I'm using that as an example, was instrumental in, in some changes for us in the last five years. Uh, it's always been um, by email and discussions with uh staff members, uh, maybe at a lower level than, than you would expect. So I'm, I'm curious, so Melissa's in Virginia. Uh, Laura is currently in Ohio, but uh, from Colorado or makes home in Colorado as well. And Brandon, you're out in, in, in California. Um, jump ball for, for whoever, what have you seen on the, on the government level as far as help or hurt or somewhere in between that has I don't know, benefited or hobbled breweries over the last couple of months. Okay, I'd love to jump in on this one. <laughs> here, <laughs> we've actually, I, I feel like we've been pretty fortunate here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Our Virginia um, ABC, sorry, um, you know, 
the who governs our alcohol laws, was actually incredibly helpful uh, in the beginning of the pandemic. Starting in April, right away, um, they made delivery permits available with blanket coverage for every brewery in the state. You didn't even have to pre-fill out the application. You were granted the delivery permit as soon as you sent an email and then you were given a certain number of days to fill out the application and get it into your agent for review and approval. Um, so they were incredibly accommodating of, especially of small breweries that might not have had those extra licenses for delivering kegs or even just delivering orders to folks. Doing curbside pickup, we were able to extend our perimeters um, to have additional outside seating. Um, and I don't know anyone that asked for an extension that wasn't granted one pretty much immediately by their agent. Um, and then, as I said, and then, you know, able to follow up with the paperwork later. So some of the things that have changed in Virginia, the Virginia Guild right now is working hard to make sure that some of these changes that were temporary can hopefully become permanent. Yeah. Because what we're realizing is these things are helpful, not only in a pandemic, but would be helpful even in good weather and in good times. Um, and really no reason to not allow these things to continue. So that's what we're working for here in Virginia is to try to keep some of these temporary, um, you know, some of this temporary help made permanent. Yeah. And I think state by state, uh, time after time, it's been shown that be it delivery or curbside pickup or what, whatever has, has come during the pandemic um, has worked and that it, it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle, certainly, but it, it, there's also, even for the critics out there, it, it's hard to point to something that says, well, this wasn't effective um, and nobody got hurt. And you know, why shouldn't we keep this th th this going, um, Laura? What's been what's been your view? Um, well, to your to your point right there, I think some of the challenges are going to be the relationship between the three tier system and the smaller breweries in terms of what 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 makes sense. I think the NBWA is going to work as hard as they can to put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah, um, the National Beer Wholesalers Association. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of different. Um, aspects, but I, I think there are cases that can be made where um, it's certainly appropriate to say that these um, regulations that have been invented to help survival may also end up benefiting the distributors too. So I think we need to also be creative about presenting these in a, a light that shows that it can be beneficial all around instead of just beneficial to the breweries and perhaps we can make the case successfully that we're helping out our distributor partners too. Um, that's a little bit of a different angle. In Colorado, I know that there has been a lot of messaging confusion in terms of what regulations are being softened and switching back and forth between um, indoor dining, patio dining, uh, no on-premise dining, um, and, and I know that that whiplash effect that you mentioned earlier is very real. <laughs> Um, and I know, and Brandon, I'm sure can speak to this better than I can, but we've seen a lot of rules that have been put in place um, or lifted for wineries, but not breweries or breweries, but not wineries. And I think that some of that kind of stuff is just kind of BS. Um, I think it needs to be a pretty even standard. And we're seeing that some too in the struggle in Denver between allowing things for you know, how you differentiate between a bar and a nightclub and a restaurant and a tap room 
you know, how, how do you differentiate and how are the rules being applied in a fair, even way? And how are they perhaps really mucking it up? Brandon? Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth with the uh, different standards for different types of business. That's been a big point of contention here in San Diego, uh, in California with the brewers, because uh, as you mentioned, a winery is able to be open has, throughout this pandemic, as there have been different standards put in place by the government there, the wineries have had a lot more leniency, a lot more leeway, been able to be, be open in some capacity when breweries can't be open in any. And uh, it's, it's particularly mucked up by the fact that the governor is a, a restaurateur with winery interests. It's very convenient. Um, so that's not been going well. And I would just say in the state of California, just getting back to the initial question, as far as government and the brewer sentiment where the government is involved, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. Uh, right now, the stay at home order is making it very difficult for breweries to be in existence at all. They can only do dine-in and takeout for say a brew pub operation or takeout and delivery. And it's just been executed in such a terrible way right now that there's really no enforcement of this rule at all. So you see about half of the breweries restaurants operating in compliance and then the other half blatantly disregarding the order altogether uh, you talk to the police, the police say, if we see a, somebody in violation, we report to the county health and then the county health has cease and desist, they would issue and then people ignore them. Uh, there's really like no one's minding the store on this. And so now it's become kind of brewer versus brewer and like, are you going to take this seriously or are you going to just go ahead and do whatever you're going to do? Because, you know, everyone's scared of losing their business. Everybody is uh, doesn't want to let go of their employees, but now it's, it becomes without anybody, uh, without anybody policing this, just business versus business. And the repercussions of that over the long term are just horrible because no one's going to forget. And if these businesses go out, if a business that's complying goes out, because right now they're incurring all of the uh, damages of this order, that's going to be a, a real sore spot while places that disregarded it stay open and benefited and actually siphoned off customers from the people who tried to do the right thing. It's, it's, it's just a big complicated mess right now and it's starting to affect people on a personal level. And speaking of personal level, I think that the fact that our California government didn't react soon enough and when they did only punish businesses versus going after personal behaviors was probably a big thing that's sticking with the brewery owners as well and I don't, I can see why that would be. It makes a lot of sense. So California is in a real terrible place right now as far as entrepreneurs and the government are involved. Yeah, Melissa, I just, yeah. uh, sorry, sure. I, I just wanted to agree with everything being said there, but man, what an opportunity we have um, because the public is so knowledgeable about all these little idiosyncrasies. I can't imagine how much time it would take to, to start to have a discussion about what the difference between a restaurant and a bar is and a bar with a, brewery and a um but that's all laid out there now and uh mm. to, the, to the extent um that the general public has uh all that in all that information and a little bit pent up frustration on their own um we we we, we obviously want to take a look at at you know changing some of these things for the better um and it's really also forced uh people who don't normally have public uh, statements about alcohol policy kind of 
relying on their lobbying at the state house and not necessarily interacting with the public. I mean, I think they're exposed huge. Uh, mm. Some of the licensed beverage associations that have sort of uh, asked for punitive measures, you know, during this time, uh, that's all going to come out. Um, distributors, uh, we have some uh, great beer distributors here. Uh, in other states, I'm seeing um, them getting exposed. So uh, there, there's an opportunity here. And, and to the extent we can keep, you know, our infrastructure going, um, we, we intend on, on making sure everyone's educated about what, what, the, what the problems are and what the opportunities are. So, Melissa, I know you're involved with, with, with your guild, and you've obviously done some work with the National uh, Brewers Association. And, and, you know, the National BA, as far as legislation goes, has really been trying to put uh, their weight behind the permanent passage of the excise tax. And as we're recording this in mid-December right now, uh, it's still sort of up in the air, and hopefully there'll be a continuance for, for the brewers that can benefit from them. But that's sort of been the, the big national focus. Um, and a lot of smaller brewers, you know, brewers that make a, a thousand barrels or less a year, um, haven't been overly concerned a, about that because while it's nice to have a couple more bucks in your pocket, it's, it's, it's more geared towards larger breweries. Have you seen, Melissa, an uptick in, in chatter with your fellow small brewers on a need to get involved on this local level for more permanent changes, for just better camaraderie, for just better messaging? Yeah, I think so for sure. Um, so you hit on a couple of interesting points and I am the representative currently for tap rooms on the Brewers Association Board of Directors. So mm -hmm. I hear those voices coming from the 2600 plus small breweries like mine across the country that consider themselves tap rooms first and foremost. Um, and you're right about the, um, the uh, craft uh, beverage tax bill that is such an important issue right now for breweries in this country. Um, we're still waiting to hear, right? <laughs> we're still waiting on the government, but um, it—that's it, um, <laughs> that's important. Yeah. It's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's—it's um, it's incredibly important, as you said. It doesn't affect my brewery, certainly in the way that it affects a larger production brewery. But um, it's important for all of us, even small voices, I think, to fight for the rights of everyone in our industry. So I think that's really important, and. Um, I think the 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 interesting thing is I've certainly become more politically involved um, in these past couple of years working with the Brewers Association and and becoming more involved with my own state guild than I ever have been in my life, to be honest with you. And, and I'm enjoying it. I think a lot of very small brewers and brewery owners um, wind up not getting involved because of exactly why you said, oh, it doesn't really affect me that much or, oh, I, it's all that I can do to run my business as a sole proprietor. I don't have time to, to get involved at this larger level. I don't have the money to spend time lobbying. And plus the big guys are kind of taking care of that for us anyway, right? Um, but I think it's really important for the little voices to be heard. And that's why I ran for a position on the BA board and, and why I encourage everybody to work hard to fight for rights for our industry, whether it be on a national, state or, um, national or state level. I want to just take a, a quick second here to thank this episode's sponsor, Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. Please visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. Laura, in, in thinking about that, that sort of what Melissa was just saying, that larger 
focus, you know, that sort of national focus. Um, what about inside the tap rooms themselves? You know, you were talking about destinations before and working with destinations, but tap rooms have really become a place where people gather and being closed right now to the public by and large. Um, what have you been advising smaller brewers that they should be using this time to accomplish within their own four walls? Um, I think that, that that question really resonates on a lot of different levels. I, I think that the, the forced pause, which is a great way to put it, um, <laughs> has, has really required or given an opportunity, depending on your perspective, everybody to look at how they function. So in the, in the translation of the experiential taproom event, I mean, you certainly need to translate your brand and your message and your story in a different way now. Um, you certainly, as, as Melissa had, have had to pivot in terms of packaging what you didn't package before and figuring out um, to go and delivery in, where it's allowed and other things in order to do that. But I think there's also a, a social media pivot, an advertising pivot, if you will. And there's a potential brewing pivot. John, you mentioned in a different conversation, the brewing opportunity here as well for education or for experimentation or for cleaning things up. Yeah. There's also the opportunity to um, offer your staff and, and yourselves as brewery owners a little bit of mental health boost by, you know, doing the things that you haven't had a chance to do, you know, doing that painting, um, rearranging your tap room, rethinking your processes, um, reorganizing your equipment, the things you normally can't ever get to. And I think that there's just so much that can be said for the opportunities that a pause presents while it's also traumatic in the, you know, survival zone, how else can we view it and, and how can we take the little bit of silver lining opportunity we have to do some of these things. And moving forward in, in, in any way, I think helps us all with that mental health piece because we're, we're all functioning at this low level trauma um, experience together and anything we can do to, to think forward and to be proactive in this time strategically so we can really start up in the best place we've ever been would be good. It's going to be interesting to see what parts of these these changes and these pivots stick around too. I'm sure we'll get to that in this conversation. Yeah. The mental health aspect of this really can't be understated. And I've been talking about this on this show and, and, and other shows and to, to anybody who, who, who listen. And, and Rob, I seem to recall a, a, an early pandemic Zoom conversation with you and some other guild directors where uh, it was coming up that you all were acting as de facto counselors. I think uh, to, to, to some of your members as well. This is sort of jump ball to, to, to anybody though. Beer and mental health ha have always had a, a tenuous relationship and uh, there's some things that have bubbled up over the years. Has this, if there is a silver lining uh, in this pandemic, has this helped bring that conversation into more of an acceptable mainstream arena? I know there's still work to be done, obviously, but. Well, I'll just start with uh, our, my connection with people who do my job in other parts of the country um, has been strengthened. Um, I've also had better relationships with breweries that I might not have had a chance to uh, 
have a face-to-face or they're they're in a in a challenging location for me to get to. So from that perspective, um, I think that's a good basis for um, having more discussions than just what's on a newsletter. So I'll, I'll start with that. I, I also know that uh, you know we've always had a challenge moving away from what our core strengths were and but we're getting more requests to do more social functions uh, and we are getting um, a request to start to explore the mental health side. I do know uh, uh, Colorado and Florida have uh, done things that are much more advanced than we are and so our discussions together will take us there uh, eventually I hope. Anybody else want to jump in or it's okay if not. Um, Brandon, we I think by and large, we look at San Diego as an incubator for craft beer advancement. Uh, it was one of the, the, the regions was one of the very early adopters of pushing the boundaries of beer styles of messing around with ingredients with, uh, having a clientele that was accepting of beer that was not necessarily the, the mainstream. Have you seen any style trends? Have you seen any consumer preference changes in the last couple of months that you think will carry through to 2021 and that maybe the rest of the country might start picking up on sooner rather than later? I can't say that I've seen anything too overriding other than what we were already seeing before, and that was going to alternative beverages, such as uh, breweries expanding to hard seltzer, hard kombucha, and things like that. Um, I have seen people come back to, uh, whether just because of the necessity that it's on the shelf or because they're just really craving something that's a little more uh, nostalgic and uh, just sessionable and enjoyable in kind of a comfort food sense uh, mm-hmm. some core beers that maybe that they had forgotten about for a long time more amber ales more stouts more traditional ipas have been on the shelf for over 10 years and uh, I, I think it's actually like i was saying it's comforting people during this pandemic i don't know that it'll carry through beyond but it's been interesting to watch and then of course there's there's still this hunger for something new and I've actually been rather astonished at the way that most of the breweries have been able to still churn out new interesting beers during this pandemic and uh, keep the public interest in that sense. It's, it's been really remarkable. But uh, so, so still plenty of pastry stouts and hazies. <laughs> Melissa, having a local tap room, now that you're canning, now that you're getting beer out the door and people aren't necessarily staying by for a pint, ha- have you noticed changes in consumer preferences as to what people are asking for or what's moving a little bit faster out of the door that maybe wouldn't have been that way back in December of last year? It's a really interesting question. Um, we're, we're a two-barrel brewery, so uh, we're pretty small, and it's sort of always been our thing to brew all kinds of beer all the time, in addition to our flagships Um, We change things up all the time here, and that's because it's convenient for us to do. Um, One of the things that I was going to, that I wanted to chime in um, uh, on here on this topic is not necessarily about styles, but one thing that's really been heartwarming for me in the past, you know, six to nine months of watching this pandemic happen has been all of the enthusiasm and energy that has been put into um, 
collaborative brewing. Mm -hmm. We saw at the beginning of the pandemic, the All Together beer come out. We, um, of course, the Black is Beautiful movement over the summer with that collab beer. We've had just here locally, um, a number of breweries um, working together to put out collaboration beers. Um, we participated in a collaboration that we called Crush the Curve with a large brewery locally that was able to um, you know, brew a 20 barrel batch and can it on their canning line and, and share that with 13 other breweries, most of whom were too small to have canning lines so that we all got beer to put out um, to share. And it's happening again here locally. We're doing a winter warmer, brewing a wee heavy that we're calling hashtag bundle up to encourage people to come out and wear warm clothes and sit on our patios, even though it's winter time. So I think there's been a lot of energy um, and excitement put into not necessarily new beer styles, but brewing together, um, which has been really cool for me. There is actually a new collaboration, a national collaboration that's that was launched by the Happy Hour guys, which have been doing a YouTube show for a bunch of years, but it's the Curtain Up Beer Initiative, and it's uh, a hazy IPA that uh, you can download off of their website, and then the, the proceeds uh, should go to help out local uh, artist communities, uh, actors, musicians, uh, folks who can't be on stage right now and who are also struggling through the pandemic. So in, in the same vein of All Together and Black is Beautiful, uh, this is, uh, it's, a, it's another national project that I would encourage everybody to look out for. Um, as we think about this, this, this new year, I think everybody starts to have these uh, fever dreams of what am I going to do post-pandemic? Where am I going to go? How am I going to uh, get back into the world? And today we saw the, the one of the first vaccines here in the U.S. Uh, doled out to a ICU nurse on Long Island, which was awesome, uh, in New York. Um, Laura, it's going to be too late for Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Lines 2021. Are you cautiously optimistic for 2022? Um, yes. And the more I hear about the vaccine distribution and the optimism we have for everybody getting it by June, I become more and more confident that everybody will have it by December. So I'm hoping that this is getting to be safer and safer of a bet to put together Big Beer's uh, 21st anniversary in 2022. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how cautious everyone is in terms of rolling out summer events, in terms of um, you know, how, how often, how soon um, are people going to be comfortable um, doing more things? Um, one thing I wanted to flash back to real quickly, yeah. um, John, the idea of more um, professional breweries putting out recipes for their beers for home brewers to brew at home and then, then drink together is something that I, I wanted to make sure we brought up today because yeah. that's a pivot that was new to me. And I think that that's a super cool idea. And with the big rise in home brewing during the pandemic, which is a silver lining for a lot of um, ingredients companies, um, I'm, I'm curious about how you feel about that and where you think that might go. Me personally, I, I I think it's a cool idea, you know, for folks who um, are into home brewing or or are getting into home brewing as well. I'm uh, still uh, a, a novice when it comes to to, to home brewing, although I, I I certainly enjoy being around people, you know, who 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 do it. Um, but Melissa and and Rob and 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 Brandon, I'm curious as to you know if you've seen this and the benefits that you see from from breweries 
trying to reach customers in, in, in that way, reach home brewers in that way? I'll jump in on this one. Um, we do a lot with our local homebrewers club. We actually have a beer on tap right now that was brewed um, in collaboration with um, the head of our local homebrewers group. It's a spruce tip porter. He harvests fresh, fresh spruce tips. That's hard to say from his, <laughs> from his family's Four farm times in fast. upstate New York every year and brings them down. And, and we brew this amazing porter with fresh spruce in it. Um, we also did a, um, we had a, competition just before we closed down in the spring we had our uh, homebrew competition um, where the local homebrew club all submitted recipes to us and we piloted a few of them and then had them here for a tasting panel um, to choose a winner and um, our judges chose a, a, a goza that we brewed over the summer now unfortunately that uh, was supposed to go hand in hand with a big event for that homebrewers club here in our tap room, which would have happened right about the same time that Virginia closed everyone down. So we ended up canning that beer and um, selling it throughout the summer, um, not with as much fanfare as we would have liked. But we're finding um, we always collaborate a lot with our with our local homebrewers. Um, uh, but we also found um, an opportunity uh, in the beginning of the closures and the early parts of this pandemic to provide ingredients to our local homebrewers as well. So when they weren't able to get things from our local homebrew shops that might've been closed down or when, um, when uh, ingredients were hard to come by for a little while and we had surplus things on hand, we were able to get our local homebrewers what they needed um, to keep making beer at home. So. Brandon, is, really is, cool. is, is there anything that you've seen uh, some of the small brewers in your area do that, you know, to use the 2020 word of pivot, uh, has been kind of cool to see and outside of the box thinking that has paid off for them? Uh, there's definitely a lot of things that I've seen. Um, I, I don't know that any of them would be dubbed ingenious per se. Okay. But um, what I would say is that it's been really, really interesting. I, I think a lot of people look at a brewery and they, you know, it tends to be somebody who, um, at least here in San Diego, a lot of the story is somebody who, really enjoys homebrewing going back to that uh, and finds a way to make it their livelihood and it's a passion project in many senses and I think a lot of folks underestimate an entrepreneur like that when it comes to a crisis situation like this and what we've seen is the exact opposite these people have coped with this pandemic better than a lot of the businesses and a lot of sectors and different industries that we've seen and I, I have been just amazed at the resilience the innovation the inventiveness of all of these uh, brewers who have completely different breweries, completely different setups to find ways to work and work together to make it happen. I think that's what I would say has been um, the measure that has worked the best for breweries and had the best results is collaborating together in a business sense, getting together, talking, figuring out what works best for different operations and implementing them in their own places. It's just a, it's just a, the next uh, level of, that collaboration versus competitiveness that we see in the brewing industry that's so great and putting it to the best use and that's to keep all of these breweries going when uh it's a time where you don't need guarded secrets in that regard and you're seeing none of nobody is uh is not being forthcoming with the things that are working best for them and and reaching out to people who are struggling and saying i think this would work best for you and next thing you know they implement it and it does work and it's it, it's just been a really good thing so i would say that's what i've seen be most successful for uh san diego breweries 
we made up a word for it here. We call it coopetition. So it's I love it. Competition. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have a we have a number of great breweries in our area, and um, it's uh, it's so much easier to to be cooperative than to try to be competitive for sure. There there are enough beer drinkers to go around and fill all of our tap rooms, and we know that. Rob, what about you? Have you seen any of your members sort of? jump up uh, ab- above and beyond and do something outside of the box thinking that has helped them garner more eyeballs and maybe a few more bucks in the coffers? Well, I, I'd actually start with, uh, uh, again, the early days of this pandemic, uh, we, we put out a lot of information, but there was a lot of collaboration uh, in terms of best practices and um, understanding uh, how we could open safely uh, once that opportunity came, um, there was a lot of discussion about uh, and, and sharing of ideas and, and uh, procedures, SOPs. Um, and, and so that's that's really um, been strengthened during this period, uh, the cooperation aspect. Um, we've got uh, uh, a number of our breweries together to do a coupon booklet as a fundraiser for the Guild. Uh, there's about $750 worth of value in there, 137 coupons. And, uh, you know, we, we get to keep the proceeds. We, we worked with a, a local printer to get that done. Um, we, we are launching a, um, a, a benefit beer program called Rebuild the Guild. Uh, so it is some breweries doing a benefit beer on their own. It is breweries working together, collaborating to do the same. And as uh, somebody who ran the homebrew club here for many years, uh, I'm hoping that there will be some homebrew collaborations with some breweries as well. So um, t- to me, uh, it's collaboration and um, particularly with small breweries, uh, since this is some of the focus, um, it's, it's really examining your place in, in your community and what did you get in this industry for? Uh, some people got into it to make the best beer, but I'm finding more and more people uh, want to be the place. They want to be where people gather. They want to be, uh, when there is a trend, they want to be the first brewery you think of to, to see if they have that style on. And, and I think it's, uh, uh, hopefully it's a time for people to examine uh, bringing people in. When, when I'm asked how we can help breweries, I say, let's start with your neighborhood. Find places you uh, can walk to, and it doesn't have to be a brewery, but it could be. Um, and, and start supporting those people and, and build the neighborhood you want. And I, and I think that's sort of, the mantra uh, as we move forward. When you are able to do big guild festivals again, and, and, and your um, uh, strong beer festival was one of the last that I attended this year and is likely the last that I'm going to have attended for, for, for quite some time. Um, are you already thinking about how you're going to have to communicate to larger groups of people about gathering together with large groups of people? Oh yeah, absolutely. We we um, um, we haven't officially canceled. Uh, I know that sounds like a terrible concept, but uh, we, <laughs> um, we're, we're thinking about making it very distributed and very small, but maintaining the idea of it. Um, and it would look more like breweries that are open and businesses that are open. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know where we're going to be with a lot of this stuff, and. Um, I, I, there is the public sentiment, which is obvious. There are uh, costs uh, that won't be able to be recouped if you have to do something smaller or with a larger footprint. Um, 
and, and a lot of those things are going to have to be looked at. And I know they're not the most exciting things, but I have no idea what the insurance situation is going to look like. Um, that's a big unknown to me. The last I heard is uh, uh, whatever policy we get, almost everyone we have to be uh, also insured on that. Uh, so, you know, that's a, that's a wait and see issue. And, and we're going to have to probably take the lead from uh, much larger festivals and, and music venues and, um, I really don't know what, but we're going to celebrate the idea of it and it won't be virtual. It will be, um, something a little bit more personal, I think. Laura, as you're thinking about destinations, uh, you know, resorts that you're working with clients that you're, that you've been working with as, as well as tap rooms themselves, even when a vaccine comes out, I, I feel like a lot of the protocols that have been put in place, maybe not all the time mask wearing, if you're walking around a restaurant, but, um, a lot of the, the, the sanitary, uh, components that have popped up, um, you know, be it plexiglass or um, you know, some some of the other uh, <laughs> items and paraphernalia in place to give at least the perception, uh, hopefully, that that people are being clean. Do, do, do you think do you think that'll be with us for quite some time? I do, and it's going to be interesting as a society how much bigger our personal space gets as we come out of this crisis. Yeah. Um, I think private dining is going to take on a new dimension. And I think the privacy and the space within a restaurant is probably going to need to be reimagined a little differently than it was going into the pandemic. Um, I, I do think there are some upsides to this in addition, like maybe a good percentage of the United States um, citizens will learn how to wash their hands properly and maybe we will have fewer um, you know, just general bugs and, and bacteria going around. Maybe we'll be a little cleaner as a society. But I think all of our experiential stuff is going to have to be restructured and different informational signage and different um, opportunities, whether it's bigger spaces or smaller crowds. I'm, I'm not really sure what direction we're going, but I would agree that it's going to be interesting and it's going to be different. Melissa, have you already started thinking about that for your brewery when it reopens fully? Well, sure. I mean, I think we've been thinking about it since we closed. Now, we're, we are able to be open here in Virginia, and our tap room is really tiny. We exist in about 1,000 square feet, and that includes our brewing space. So yeah. our maximum capacity in the tap room is and has always been 50. So when the state took everybody down to a maximum of 50 people, it's like no big deal for us. But what does affect us is the social distancing. Um, because we were tiny, now having to keep parties six feet apart, which is the requirement in our state currently means that even though the state's telling us we can have 50 people, we can really only have about half that many. But, you know, um, I liked what Laura said about signage and um, about, you know, getting the messaging out and, and how things will probably have to change as we go forward. Um, we started out in April uh, when we first, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, the early part of the year um, before we were even closed down with uh, adding signage to our bathrooms that included songs to sing that would keep you washing your hands for 20 to 30 seconds. So everybody knows how now to recite the lyrics to Jolene or <laughs> Raspberry Beret or M&M's Lose Yourself because all of the choruses of those songs will get you 30 seconds of hand washing. 
So in addition to those important bits of science, I mean, I think just the keeping, you know, it, it really comes down to the, it really comes down to the patrons and we have great customers here who are respectful of one another and of the rules. Um, we haven't unfortunately, or we fortunately haven't had to deal with some of the um, issues of, you know, folks not wanting to wear masks and um, folks wanting to break the rules like I know happen at some places. But I think just, you know, continuing moving forward and, and, and um, making sure that our messaging is strong and clear. And also to remind people that breweries are really sanitary places, you know. You'd hope. Um, these were clean places to start with. And um, we know how to do it well. That's part of the messaging that the Brewers Association is trying to get out right now is to remind people that when it's safe to go back to, to tap rooms and pubs and tasting rooms, that, that um, breweries are a really good place to start because they've always kept things clean. Um, and if not, then you wouldn't be drinking the great beer that you're drinking. Mm-hmm. Same, same, same for restaurants and for um, a lot of the hotels and resorts. The idea that the, the cleanliness was important to start with is, I think, going to help their messaging. Yeah, no, I, a hundred percent, and uh, it, it's something to to keep up on going forward. Uh, being mindful of all of your time. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up here, but ask uh, one final question that hopefully uh, has has been top of your mind a little bit. Uh, we're talking a lot about tap rooms, but obviously uh, beer bars and bars in general are uh, feeling this pinch uh, in, in in quite a way, and and there's a lot of worry about uh, some of these these great stalwart craft beer bars around the country. When the vaccine comes, when we can all fly again, when we can all leave the comfort of our home, where? do you want to go in the country? Uh, you don't have to have a pint, but just to go and uh, drop a couple of bucks on the bar and uh, soak in the atmosphere um, of, a, of a beer bar that stands out in your mind. Um, Melissa, I'll start with you. Oh man, I wish that you had ended with me. That is such a big question. Cool, Brandon <laughs> Hernandez, I'll start with you. Oh, well, what a surprise. Uh, <laughs> Being that I, I'm a native San Diego and I've lived here all of my life, and of course, uh, the quality of the breweries here and, and the craftsmen it has completely changed my life to doing what I do for a living now. Uh, I want to go back to the place where it all started, uh, O'Brien's Pub for me in Kearney Mesa area of San Diego, where I first had my, my first beer, and it was craft beer, and it was great, and I've continued to go there for all these years, since 1998, and it is it only keeps getting better with the great people that are there and i just love to go throw them some throw some of the money i couldn't because i've actually been quarantined for like over 270 days now i haven't left my house uh i just want to go see all those people give them a great big hug and if there's beer involved that's just a plus but yeah i just need to go to to my place and i and 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 enjoy what makes craft beer so good and that's just as much the people as the beer moving east to arizona rob (laughs) Um, Well, I'm going to have quite a bit of work to do because I'm known for being face-to-face in my state, so um, uh, it's going to start there. But I'm also known among my colleagues across the country as the guy that would just show up to a meeting if you ask, no matter where it is in the country. So um, I'll take the first uh, bid. Uh, John, what's going on in New Jersey? Maybe, Maybe there's a good place we could meet. Uh, right in the backyard on the on the patio, I'll open up the beer cellar for you and for anybody else who wants to come by. So, um, to Ohio, the Buckeye State, Laura, what do you got? Well, since I'm kind of transplanted here, I think my first destination would be to go home in Colorado. <laughs> um, 
I, I'm really enjoying learning more about Cleveland and I've definitely, I, there's actually a little startup happening here in, in Cleveland area in my neighborhood that I'm helping with. Um, but I'm looking forward to be back in Vail and with Bonfire and Vail Brewing Company and my, my Colorado beer people. I wanna go to Breckenridge and see, you know, Beaver Run, even though we can't be there um, for big beers this coming year. I just, there's so much of going home, I think that will be wonderful for me. Uh, and I should point out that I am on the board, just as, as far as transparency goes, that I am on the board of Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines. So um, thanks for having me do that, Laura, but uh, just so that people know that I'm also affiliated with you on that. Um, and then finally, because she asked so nicely, uh, <laughs> Melissa, uh, local, national, international, when you can travel again, is there a bar that you want to go to and Oh, well, let's keep, it, let's keep it national. If we open it up to international, then I really won't be able to answer this question. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I'll say quickly, I was so excited to um, be elected onto the Brewers Association board this last year. And I was so looking forward to this year, my first year on the board, this year of beer travel. I think there were six plus trips planned and I couldn't wait for all of them. I got to make the first one in February out to Boulder to headquarters and then that was it. So I have crazy wanderlust. I love to travel. I've been all over the world to drink beer. But my favorite beer, or one of my top beers, um, is and has always been Brooklyn's Black Ops. I had my first taste of it um, at the brewery before they even had an official tasting room. And I have 12 years worth of it stacked vertically in my beer cellar. And I think this is going to be the winter that we open them all. If anybody wants to come for a socially distanced vertical beer tasting uh, later this winter, we may just wait for a really snowy night and dig in. But I think that I would say um, I would love to go back and sit uh, in the tap room at Brooklyn and drink a blackout. I love it. Melissa Romano is the owner of Lake Ann Brew House in Reston, Virginia. Rob Fulmer joined us as well. He's the executive director of the Arizona Craft Brewers Guild. Laura Lodge dialed in from Ohio. She's the founder of the Big Beers Belgians and Barley Wine Festival and founder of Customized Craft Beer Programs. And Brandon Hernandez, there's no finer journalist in Southern California than him. He is the founder and executive editor at San Diego Beer News. My thanks to all of you for being on this this last show of 2020 and sending us off on the, on the right note. Thanks for Thanks for taking the time and warm wishes and peace and health for a new year. Thank you so much, John. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This is fun. Yes, it was. Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. What are your brewing resolutions for 2021? Email me at nano at byo.com. And I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month. So subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. Before we go, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the right choice for pro results. Whether it's for your pilot system or production line, their turnkey systems come fully equipped with everything you need to hit the ground running. Designed for easy setup and intuitive use, their brew house systems and cellaring equipment deliver uncompromising quality and reliability backed by a name you trust, so you can focus on what matters most 
your beer. Visit BlickmanPro.com today. And don't miss three different in-depth live online boot camps coming up that are of interest to small-scale craft breweries. On January 15, 2021, numbers guru Audra Gazanis walks you through brewery financials. On February 26th, author John Palmer is going to help you tackle brewing water adjustments. And on March 5th, Dr. Chris White and Kara Taylor teach you yeast techniques and lab skills. Each of these three interactive online workshops will be four hours long, and you can find full details at byo.com slash nanobootcamps. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. Find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our thanks to Scott McCampbell for supplying the music for the show. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day and wish you a very happy and healthy new year.